You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We'll take a glass together and we will lift it to the good life and as we're lifting it we will most sincerely say we'll take a glass together this is equity one broadway's happy hour pour yourself a drink and join us as we chat about life theater and and everything in between i'm elliot maddox and i'm caleb dickey join us for your equity one Welcome to this week's episode of Equity One, Broadway's Happy Hour. We are starting our very spooky haunting this month of October. Yes. Um, And we are so excited to have our first Beetlejuice adjacent guest. Closer? Is that better? No, you're just like holding the door. Oh. I'm just trying. Look, okay, we're in our studio, as all of you know. We're getting used to this like fancy operation. We're not used to it. Alan, <laughs> podcast dad, is fixing my mic right now. Okay, oh, I'm so much more comfortable now. Thank you. Yeah, we can interview so much better. And also, plot twist, there's a new feature right now. Guess who we can talk to and who can talk to us? Hey, Alan. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Yay! Yay! So good. Okay, anyway. What, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. okay. This, so this week we have the <laughs> composer of Beetlejuice the Musical, Eddie Perfect. Hi, Eddie. Hi. How are you going? Good. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's a total pleasure. It's exciting. It's exciting to be on your podcast. It's so much fun. We're we're excited. We have to, a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time. We're excited for uh, all you Beetlejuice fans out there to get to know get to know Mr. Perfect himself. Now, what's your vibe? What's your podcast vibe? Like, what's so an equity one drinking. an equity one here here in the states yeah is um is kind of the slang for like your drink between shows on a matinee so the idea is you have like a drink between shows but maybe keep it at one right it's we like to think it's an official rule it's not actually a rule but it's just been kind of branded there's usually spoken, a, yeah. there's yeah. usually an equity rule about being drunk uh, yeah, the yeah. Theater, isn't there? Yeah, I think the rule is don't be drunk. Don't be drunk. <laughs> but you know, one. But an equity one. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, so the idea is you're just meeting meeting a friend for a between show drink. Just for sneaky equity one. Just exactly, sneaky, yeah. sneaky equity you one. You still got to lift people afterwards, you know, in the, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. evening show. Yeah. So. But we're very upfront about it here. No shame. No shame in our game. That's great. Yeah. Because, you know, um, America has a different sort of drinking culture to Australia. Tell okay. us about Tell us. Um, So, I mean, and now I'm going to have to totally generalize. But I think it's fair to say that Australians drink a lot more than Americans. Word. Yep. Yeah. And... <laughs> But Americans are this weird kind of, but, but, but wine and um, mm-hmm. wine and beer is very yeah. big in Australia. We have amazing wines and uh, terrific beers, as, as you do here. But um, there's a kind of a cocktail um, culture in in America that's uh, especially New York mm-hmm. that's quite different to Australia. The idea of drinking cocktails before a meal is kind of like a secret way of getting really loaded. Yeah, because uh-huh. because you kind of can't drink multiple drinks without it look you looking like you're having you, multiple drinks. Yeah. yeah, you need to go. So like, it's not unusual for Australians to drink, you know, anywhere between three and ten <laughs> glasses of wine if you're like tying one on. <laughs> oh, I but love in that. America, it's like oh, I've had two glasses. I better you know wind things uh-huh. down. Yeah, move locations. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But the cocktail hop, is great because you can stuff, you know. Yeah. Three or four drinks into one drink and then pretend like it's all good. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Clever. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> we do some things right. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it and just live in your shame. Be yeah. very secretive about it. What is the legal drinking age in Australia? Eighteen. Eighteen, okay. Yeah, it's twenty one here, right? Twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get your you can get your driver's license and your and your drinking license mm-hmm. at exactly the same time, which yeah. is terrific. Although on a probationary license, which means you can drive, but you've got like restrictions right. when yeah, you're yeah. 18, you can't drink any, have any alcohol in your system. Well, and then yes. after that, it's what, is it the same here? 0.05? Yeah. I think it's so. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's 0.05. That sounds right. Yeah. But we have all the, you know, the breathalyzers and stuff. And then we always watch the American movies and you get, have to get out of the car and you have to walk along the line. Yeah. Touch your nose. Yeah. That's not scientific. ABC's backwards. Yeah. yeah. It's the thing. I'm like, I couldn't do that stone cold sober no. in the middle of the day. Well, There's no way. Yeah. Well, that's that's the difference between... The, the, some of the hilarious differences between <laughs> Australia and America. So many. So many. So many. Well, uh, tell us about... We like to start our podcast interviews by having our guests tell them... Tell us a little bit about uh, what got them interested in the arts when they were growing up. So... Yeah. When... Young Eddie was in Australia growing up. What first? What first got you? Um, I I was always into music. I've got parents who are both um, retired high school teachers, mm-hmm. and they were, um, you know, they were kind of interested in the sort of the classical e- education. So that that in, that included sending us to like music lessons. And the first musical thing I ever did when I was a kid was I got sent to. Yamaha Music School in suburban Melbourne, in Malvern, and I was in a choir, mm-hmm. and it was sort of a choir slash group music class, and you know we collectively sing songs, and I, and I had a very strong sense sense from the very beginning that um, music was just something that made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got sent to piano lessons, but but I, I quit after two years. So I, when I was five and when I was six, I. I studied piano and I did uh, the exams but I had a teacher finally work out that I was playing music 
by ear because she would play me the piece when she gave me a new piece yeah. and then I would be able to kind of like pretty much play it back. Right. Um, but once she found out that I was doing that, she stopped playing anything for me and forced me to sight read. And I really quickly lost interest in, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in music and I wanted to play contemporary music. My parents were like, no, you need to do classical first. And so I just quit. And um, <laughs> my uncle uh, is a really interesting guy, Uncle Jim. He, um, my dad's side of the family emigrated from uh, England um, my dad was six years old when he came to Australia. Jim is his older brother and my uncle. And he is a really interesting character. He played in piano bars his entire life. But he's oh, never wow. had a piano lesson in his life. But I, I kind of followed a, a slightly similar route to him where um, he just listened to the radio and, and learnt songs. And he's like a walking jukebox. Like he, wow. he, uh, has n- he can't sight read anything. But if you say, um, play me, um, you know, play me uh, Ain't No Sunshine or mm-hmm. play me Mahalia Jackson or something, a George Gershwin tune or even Rhapsody in Blue and, you know, give him a key, he'll play it in that wow. key from memory. And I remember him just saying to me, you just don't, don't worry about it, just listen to the radio and play what you hear. Uh-huh. And that was the permission I sort of needed. So I taught myself to play the piano. I taught myself to write songs. Um um, but the first thing that got me into music theatre was my dad taping, um, I think it's the 1983 um, Angela Lansbury, George Hearn production of Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know what made him do this, but he recorded um, the whole, the whole um, musical in both acts. It was simulcast on radio in Australia. He, onto two cassettes, he recorded the whole thing. And... We used to listen to that a lot in in the car. We had like a combi van, and we used to go every holidays. We'd go on camping trips around um, Victoria, um, and you know sometimes Australia's big, so sometimes long drives, six, mm-hmm. seven, yeah. uh, eight hour drives, and always listening to musicals. So that was yeah. that was sort of the first introduction to musicals, and um, it was Sweeney Todd. And it was um, uh, Pirates of Penzance, also with Angela Lansbury and Kevin Kline. Yeah, Klein. the Kevin Kline. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. The, the, like, movie they did. That's right. Linda yeah. Ronstadt. Yeah. Well, it was uh, the, uh, the entire original cast, except for Angela Lansbury, was, did the movie, I think, and not... I can't remember who, who did it Originally, off-Broadway. Yeah, I don't remember. It was so random that... Yeah, we were talking about that. Um, I was talking about that recently because I saw the new production of Little Shop of Horrors at the Westside Theater. Okay, we were kind of talking about this like that time when like these weird kind of like off Broadway musicals like became mainstream movies and oh, yeah. that they they brought up like Pirates of Penzance. Like, why did that become a movie? But yeah, yeah, great. You know, I mean, I there was so much about it. And, and I think that, you know, I, I can pretty much point to, um, you know, the dark comic sensibility yeah. of Sweeney Todd and the kind of um, ridiculous, aimless Patter, wordplay yeah, 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 of, yeah. of, uh, of um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan mm-hmm. being really massive influences on my writing to this, to this day. Yeah. Um, I just love the ridiculousness of the words. And I also, you know, I was brought up on my dad. Um, used to read us a lot of poetry mm-hmm. and uh, there's a great English poet called Ogden Nash okay. who um, wrote uh, was kind of like the poet laureate in England for a time and children's poet laureate and he his collections of poems are fantastic and he 
in a similar way to people like Spike Milligan, who we got a lot of in Australia as a comedian, uh, and then eventually Monty Python, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know um, uh, Fla- Fry and Laurie, and um, you know those kind of e- the English comedians mm-hmm. were, that was very interested in kind of words and what I loved about Ogden Nash, and also um, and uh, Gilbert and Sullivan was the was was distorting words to make them rhyme or pulling them apart in, uh-huh. in, in different ways and um, and also between the two of them like Sweeney Todd and, and Pirates of Penzance taking um, kind of uh, like you know t- taking ridiculous ideas very seriously mm-hmm. in, in, in th- there's a heightened reality to both of those pieces that's that is not connected naturalism it's not you know yes it's not a Pinter. big farce you know, like yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's like it's huge themes and I love the size of it and I was like Oh right, music allows you, basically allows you to to create a piece of theatre with that scope. You know, yeah, you can get away with so much. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, the whole premise of Pirates of Penzance is so utterly ridiculous. You know that he was born on a leap year, and mm-hmm. you know that the, the whole orphan thing, and, and I mean, it's it's <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> it's so stupid, and it's like an amazing moment. Musical like, comedy <laughs> when you know the the. Um, Angela Lansbury character. I can't even remember what her character's name yeah, is in. I can't um, either. Yeah, she's basically can, she can uh, she deceives Frederick that she's the most amazingly beautiful woman in the world because he's never seen another woman, and then right. he gets to the island, and then there's all he's the like no, you yeah, <laughs> like, oh false woman, you have deceived me, and yeah. I thought that was so cruel, but very funny. Yeah. So yeah, all those funny. things have been uh, kind of in the bag uh, from the start. They were form- they were formative things, but then For I re- sure. also remember pulling. Um, Fiddler on the Roof out of my dad's record collection uh-huh. just going what's this and putting it on the turntable yeah. and, and hearing tradition for the first time mm-hmm. and just blowing my mind yeah. I was like what is this sound and all those kind of those different melodies that then cleverly come together and form one piece and I was like this is so I was always really fascinated with music I was fascinated with music theatre because of the mm-hmm. storytelling nature of it and I was always interested in it enough to become obsessed with how it all worked mm-hmm. but never thinking i'm gonna write musicals one day i was right. just like i just like to take just like i guess it's like people that like to take a clock apart and see how it works sure. i just, mm-hmm. just kind of like would just ob- ob- obsess over it and i did want to be um, a music theater performer and i went and studied music theater but the the writing is something that kind of came along in parallel very late i didn't mm-hmm. write a song until i was 19 years old i didn't write a, um, anything you would call like kind of music for the theatre until I was um, 20 years old um, and that was because I was a student at um, a music theatre institution and every now and then there would be an opportunity to write something we're sure. doing Liz- the play Liz Estrada and it needs the whole chorus of men who are like horny and, yeah. and can't get anywhere and they need a song can you write a song I write a big kind of like barbershop quartet type song or yeah so writing for the theatre was great because I liked a lot of music and it just gave me the ability to write sort of anything that worked or that, that solved the problem of yeah, the scene. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I didn't have any kind of like formal training in it. So I just kind of kept doing it. And I think it's true of all writers out there who have never been in an institution and come out with like a piece of paper that's been stamped at the end of it. Mm-hmm. There's a really weird point at which you give yourself permission to be a writer. And... Sometimes it's just because that's what you're doing and mm-hmm. someone's paying you for it. 
um, or it's occupying all of your time and you just kind of get so used to it that you stop worrying about the fact that you're not qualified in any particular way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or sometimes there's an event that happens, you know, like, you know, the first bit of money you make from something uh, you write. Right. Or, but I don't really know what it was with mine, but I do get a lot of people emailing me going, I've got this idea, can you write it for me? And I always go, you need to write that yourself. And mm. then I was like, oh, but I don't know if I can write. I'm like, no one knows that they can just do it. Right. Yeah. Just do it. No one's going to do it for you, especially in Australia. Um, you just have to, <laughs> I mean, I didn't have, yeah, I'd, I would, I'd just, I'd go like, okay, here I am. And here's the thing I want to be able to do. Like, uh-huh. I want to be able to, um, I want to be able to record my own demos. Like that, that's something that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And, or I want to be able to accompany myself and sing my song in public. Right. Um, uh, all that stuff is you like whenever you get that idea you look at the distance between yourself and the reality of making that happen mm-hmm. and there's so many things in between you're like I don't know what to do to get there but you just start walking there and you learn things along the way so when a lot of people come up to me and like hey you know how do you um, can you write a chart for me or can you mm-hmm. can you like transcribe this and I'm like do it yourself. That's how you learn how to do it. How you learn how to do it. Like yeah. It's so much easier when you don't have to pay for somebody else, wait for somebody else, uh-huh. get permission mm-hmm. from somebody else. It's just like, just do it. I mean, how hard is it? Yeah, I mean, the, the old adage, right? If you want something done right, do it yourself. yourself yeah. No one's going to do it the way that you're going to do it. And, cause, and then you, you have full control, which is something that like in the arts is very rare to have like, so much control over what you're putting out there. Yeah, well, in Australia, it was more of a necessity, and then and, and then the the impetus to come to New York was really about um, getting out of the vacuum of just myself and collaborating mm-hmm. with other people. Would you talk about that? Um, the the different kind of atmosphere in Australia for your for what you were doing and and why that led you to yeah. branch out to New York. So Australia has a has a, has a very big music theater industry. Mm-hmm. All of the but it's an imported industry sure almost almost entirely i'd say so yes we do make our own musicals and and they they do occur and every now and then one happens in quite a large commercial way i think that that um new yorkers might be familiar with priscilla that was a yeah uh-huh. that was a commercial australian musical um began in australia developed and then and then is was toured all over the world yeah um Boy from Oz with Hugh Jackman, although it's sure. significantly changed from the version that toured Australia oh, very okay. successfully. I think that was that changed a lot just because of the American market. Sure, yeah. you know, are they going to understand a whole bunch of you right. know, country Australian references? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but generally, um, it's an imported art form. So uh, there are major commercial producers; they will take the license for. Um, a musical that normally from Broadway, sometimes mm-hmm. from the West End, and then produce it there. So, um, in that respect, um, we have a huge industry of incredibly talented um, performers, uh, wonderful pit musicians, um, experienced producers, marketing companies, um, creatives and designers, uh, directors, um, musical directors. All we have all of the people to make mm-hmm. those things happen. Right. What we don't have is any kind of like um, uh, kind of consistent and concentrated development process, or even a kind of um, an ambition or an appetite for making commercial musicals. Sure, it's just sort of too. 
it's, it's too expensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there yes. aren't that many people in Australia. Um, but I do think that there was more motivation and, and um, you know, more of a consistent payoff. If sure. it wasn't such a heartbreaking art form, yeah. maybe it would happen more. But, you know, America, yeah. America makes a huge... Broadway makes a huge amount of musicals. Mm -hmm. And we all know, you know, how few of those become yes. kind of lasting properties. It's yeah. really... It's really difficult. But there is an appetite here. Yeah. And there is a big carrot dangling in front of the donkey. You know, the, there is a real nexus between commerce and art when it comes to uh, Broadway here. And as a result... There's just like a kind of a very vibrant ecology of people who not only know what they're doing, making musicals, um, but are really, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, they're serious about it. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody in New York um, apologizes for the musical because it's New York's art form. Yeah, sure. Totally. Just as much as jazz and hip hop was born in Manhattan yeah. um, or in the boroughs of New York, mm -hmm. um, Broadway is completely geographically specific, totally yeah. its own art form that has been running for you know, a very long time yeah. um, and has incredible practitioners, has a whole world built around it of, from both the kind of money side to the creative side. Mm -hmm. And no one skimps on it. I mean, everyone has, obviously there's, there's ways that the whole system could be improved and I'm sure everyone has, you know, has had success and failures and sure. all sorts of things, but... They're still throwing millions of dollars at it. Like yeah. they're not letting they're not skimping in that way. Yet. Yeah, th yeah, this is the only place where no, where everyone goes. Let's make a musical, and they're like, they're serious. They'll spend millions and millions of dollars to make yeah. a musical. Whereas in Australia, I mean, yes, they'll make musicals. Even in the UK, yeah, they'll make musicals, but they're not, they're not as in love with the form. They're mm -hmm. not. They're a little bit subconscious about it. There's a little bit of like, um, because the UK is, you know, London is the is the land of the beautifully crafted literary play yes you know what mm -hmm. i mean and that's yeah. what they value and that's why you know the national and the almeida and the old vic and mm -hmm. you know all of those um and the royal court and these incredible institutions are there to develop playwriting and as a result that is that is part of their culture it's a big mm -hmm. part of their culture yes they make musicals but i feel like they don't they're a little bit like this isn't as important well there's a di i mean there's a difference in the 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 like <laughs> When I when I visited England when I was much younger, there the big hit that everyone was like, you have to see it was Dirty Dancing, and okay. so it's just kind of like I thought you were going to see Lord of the Rings. No, that's what I chose to see. <laughs> they were like, ugh, it's awful. Don't go see it. I loved it. I was like, this oh, is yeah. amazing. This is huge. <laughs> I love the music. I love the like folk music. But they were like, no, Dirty Dancing. It's fabulous. It's so fun. That was, and so that's kind of the general vibe is that it's very much the like the fun light you know, campy thing over there. It is there yeah. where there are things that take what we do very seriously. Even if, you know, not speaking, just taking it seriously as throwing money on it, but actually taking it seriously in that it's like, you know, there Pushing are the serious yeah. things happening in musicals. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the kind of the big, the, the big kind of influential musicals out of, out of the UK, I mean, um, like, Things like uh, the Hired Man and and mm -hmm. Blood Brothers, yeah. and you know the kind of Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, Cameron McIntosh right. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of oeuvre, the mega know. musical, yep. yeah, all that kind of yeah. stuff. You know that is really important, and there's there's certainly things happening there now. And I mean, I'm not completely across all of it, but like you know, everyone's talking about Jamie, yeah, it's really interesting, um, and um, um, Matilda, obviously, yeah, um, and Groundhog Day, 
mm-hmm. um, both the kind of from that collaboration between Tim Minchin and Matthew Warchus. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's certainly yeah. stuff um, happening there. Absolutely, there's stuff happening there. Um, it's funny what doesn't make it over here made it over there, though. Like, you said one, and I was like, oh, that didn't last over here. Oh, Blood Brothers? Yeah. No, wait, no. Well, Groundhog Day was... Groundhog Day, was yeah, yeah, had yeah. A sh- short, had a short life, yeah. Right. Shorter life here. Yeah. And, you know, they, who, who knows, too? It's yeah. not, and definitely not an exact science. Like. Yeah. No, it's certainly not. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, too. You know, like, um, the way things are developed here is very different to the way things are developed in the UK. Um, there are, like, a, there's a lot more equity rules around how yes. yeah. theatre is music theatre is created and you know we know from doing mm-hmm. Beetlejuice together how many endless labs we did and yep. you know everyone is every single one of those is a different equity stipulation they don't have that in the UK so things can kind of move faster and easier and sort of uh, cheaper mm-hmm. I guess in some ways but this is still the centre of where it's mm-hmm. happening for all of its you know expense and faults and failings I mean people still put millions of dollars into making musicals and they're like i don't know is it gonna <laughs> how's it gonna it's crazy yeah it's crazy it is so crazy but i guess it's just like you know and we're also we're in the you know financial capital here too you know people love the risk they love the gamble it's i think it's part of why people produce and like throw money at things like that i think it's an exciting way to invest in things mm-hmm. it's a way for people to invest in the arts and uh, I think it, I think some people like the thrill of it too, like being like not knowing if they're gonna get their million dollars back. Yeah, yeah, and also, but just kind of create contributing to the culture and being there and yeah. night and you know facilitating stuff. That's a, you know, that's a, it's like um, it's got a Roman vibe. You know, like it's like you have a civic, you know, you have a civic role in investing in certain things or being yeah. a patron of certain arts institutions. Arts ph- philanthropy in New York is just staggering. Like it's mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. staggering what people will put their money and investment into, and 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 decide is important. And that is amazing. Nowhere else in the world does that happen. I find that kind of extraordinary. But there's also this weird part of the culture with musicals, or at least the way. Um, and I don't know. You can probably tell me more about mm-hmm. this. But there is a there is a kind of an art as sport thing that goes on with Broadway especially I feel like it's like every season you know oh sure you've got to like season you gotta get you gotta have your team Mm -hmm. that you're rooting Uh for and you've got to hate the other team (laughs) and you know you've got to like look at the look at the grosses and this is gonna do this and it's like really in it's really intense Mm -hmm. some you know most of the time some more than others yeah yeah yeah, some people take it really seriously some people Mm -hmm. are kind of like bordering on the insanely vitriolic and other people are just but it's just like kind of the the finance of it, the commerce yeah. of it, is as much a part, if not more, a part of what excites people about Broadway yeah. than the content of what is on stage. Yeah, well, I think since Hamilton, people are like, well, investors are like, we could have another Hamilton, so that's why we're going to invest in this small sure. thing that's going to grow. And then also making, if it's a hard show to get to, people want to get tickets even more because they're like, everyone's seen it. We got to yeah, go. Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, it's an interesting thing, especially with the competitive nature. I mean, you look at it, there's so many new shows that open up in a season. I mean, their last it's season were like th- yeah. 13, 14 shows or something like that. And you and had two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a tip for all the writers out there. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bad idea. But it just, it's, it's, uh, 
and I think a lot of I think a lot of what feeds into that is most people that get involved in the theater scene here aren't from New York or you know they're a lot of our a lot of our like um, stake in theater was st- started with watching the Tony Awards or something like that started with seeing this kind of thing happen so then I think that kind of is ingrained into the culture a little bit of like oh this is part of like what we do is this kind of like com- competition competitive thing and it is a competitive industry I mean mm-hmm. of course yeah and competition is competition is healthy and competition yeah. is good and um, everyone has different ways of, of dealing with it and at the end of the day like you know it's not really um, my business to do anything other than mm-hmm. my job and I get to w- walk into these amazing rooms with incredible performers like yourself and orchestras and mm-hmm. orchestrators so I'm very yeah. I'm really lucky, but I also think it's good to take a step back and look at like what are the, what is it that that people are writing about, and like cause yeah. especially because now I'm at a point where I'm back to square one, and I'm like, what's the next idea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every idea you have, you you can't help when you when you're kind of writing for, um, hopefully for a kind of commercial yeah. audience. You know what is it, what is it constitutes a commercial idea, and. Um, you know, like, what what are what stories are people telling, and what stories are appealing to people? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it seemed for a while that there was a lot of stuff about the kind of you know the outside of the kind of the be more yeah. chill, the dear Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. and even Absolutely. like uh, 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 superheroes at um, uh-huh. second was it second stage? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of material was about being the kind of mm-hmm. out, outsider. Um, and I don't know whether that is just like because theatre people feel like they're outsiders or whether theatre people feel like um, the their audience uh, are going to feel like mm-hmm. outsiders and they're the kind of ideas that appeal. I, I don't know where that comes from or whether that is something that people voraciously want. It's just part of the yeah. consciousness, you know. There's a great book by William Golding called The Season, um, which was written... Oh my God! People out there going to listening are going to know this book and be really <laughs> upset that I don't know. Um, it was the beginning of the book. He's talking about a sort of a final concert of Judy Garland on on Broadway, so that should give you some mm-hmm. idea of the timeline. But he basically took an, an entire Broadway season and looked at every single show, everything from uh, content to mm. commerce, and um, uh, a quite terrifying chapter called uh, Homosexuals, uh, which is not quite as bad as you think it's going to be but it's still <laughs> it is <laughs> not it is not woke but it is like you're like you're like oh my god like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> here we go proceed with caution uh yes very much a product of its time but also sure. but also but still interesting just language that um, mm-hmm. we wouldn't and ideas that we wouldn't particularly cling to these days but it does what it does do is break down what those stories are about every mm-hmm. single play you know this is, this is a play about um uh, reconnecting with family or this is a play about l- losing love or mm-hmm. you know whatever and um, you know like it's interesting to look at what Broadway is putting up mm-hmm. you know and how you can be a point of difference and what idea is going to be able to break through I just think it's kind of like an interesting time yeah. for for theatre it definitely is I think there's a there's a there's kind of a differing views of right now on kind of what people want and need from from theater 
like either people want an escape or they want to be challenged is kind of I feel like yeah. the two kind of things like people want to escape with yeah. a comedy or they want to be challenged with something that's perceived as intellectual and um, with the more dramatic yeah. and I mean how how many more times can we have a musical that is like you just got to live your truth you know what I mean <laughs> yeah like that is it, it is amazing how many musicals are just like you just gotta all you gotta do is find out who you are mm -hmm. and live your truth everything that's wrong in life is you're not living your truth and I as an as an Australian you know we don't quite have that <laughs> <laughs> you gotta yeah. live your truth thing going on you know yeah. like just just be you it's a very American yeah. I mean, but then you know you talk to most Americans and they're like yeah you know you, you can't just sit on a couch and just be you you know you have to right. go out in the world to and do something yeah. do something or be something or learn learn something you know and I and I really gravitate towards darkness so I'm always mm -hmm. like how dark how dark can we get yeah and, and get away with stuff so um, I'm having kind of fun at this point but then you, you go okay this idea appeals to me and then I have to pitch it to people and then you find out very quickly whether that's <laughs> like something somebody wants to write a check for. You uh -huh, know? Yep. Do you think musicals, you have to leave a musical with a sense of hope? Um, yes. I feel like you have to. You have to have a, a glimmer somewhere in it for hope. Because that makes you want to come back. Or I, like can't, you I can't go out in the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. But I mean, you think about something like Sweeney Todd. I mean, do you really leave that with much hope it's literally saying every every person is sweeney we all seek revenge in different ways and yeah i don't I know if that leaves us with much but do you have hope for toby yeah i think you kind of go mm, no. revenge is revenge i mean i guess it's not, a cautionary is, tale so i guess you know you're going okay you can follow the path of revenge but it will consume you and it will kill you right you, you won't live happily ever yeah. after i mean you know his daughter lives on and mm -hmm. And right, the sailor Anthony lives on, and the hopeful character, the ones yeah. that are all yeah. the whole time. Yeah, that revenge kind of like revenge is going to you can kill as many people in revenge, but it, it will kill you. It will yeah. claim your soul and just and destroy you. So I think that's kind of got a message of hope, I guess. You know, I, I would I would say that's kind of hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's sort of interesting that people that criticize music theater because they just don't fundamentally buy why somebody would break into song. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I find that the musical is sort of, and I felt this especially when I watched that documentary, Bathtubs Over Broadway. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen it, but I've been meaning it's to. It's on my watch list, yeah. Yeah, it's about, um, what do they call them? Commercial musicals or, or like, it's probably, it has a different Industries? name. Industries? In uh, industrial industrial musicals. Industrial, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's one of those kind of, um, the guy that made it, the guy that put it together is, has got that fantastic kind of great digging um, obsessiveness about something that is really kind of kitsch but mm -hmm. finds the beauty in it and, it and and because the kind of height of the industrial musicals around um, the kind of peak of American optimism and mm -hmm. manufacturing you know I do feel like music theater has optimism built into it and almost it's like you need to the reason it is exciting is because you sit down and you go I am I am entering into a world where singing and dancing is possible. Yeah. 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 It's just possible, which is a lot more you can say for everyday life. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. In, in New York or, or anywhere, you know what I mean? Like the idea yeah. that you could, you know, um, find a way to express yourself that becomes heightened physically and right. vocally is, is like a nice thing. So I kind of think like it does have to have 
hope in it there mm-hmm. some way. But then there, I also f- feel that kind of um, catharsis is part of it too. You know, that yeah. if you, you know, if you kind of destroy the, the thing that you go, that's bullshit and I'm going to pick it apart or I'm going to stab it or skewer it. Um, seeing a collective enemy go down in flames, even if it's violent, you know, like that's like, <laughs> we yeah, root for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. That's hope that something can be killed yeah. that you didn't think yeah. could be killed, whether that's fascism or mm-hmm. anti-Semitism or sexism or transphobia. Right. Like mm-hmm. seeing someone destroy that is, is great. Are you excited for Jagged Little Pill? No, I mean, not really. I mean, I, I don't know much about it. I mean, I am, I don't know. Like I, lo- so this comes to the provider. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. I know. I mean, just on- honestly, I yeah. love that album. That was oh, a yeah. big mm. album. Like when I talk about influential albums in my life, Jacket Little Pill was a huge one. So I'll go along and, and, uh, and watch it. But I, you know, like it's like all ideas. I'm like, this is either a great idea or a terrible idea. I'm like reserving judgment until yeah, I see it. See it yeah. Like I thought that Bat Out of Hell would be terrible and it was like one of the most glorious I things loved I have ever seen. I just blew my <laughs> mind. I had so much fun. I had so much fun. And so Bradley Dean who played the kind uh-huh. of father guy. Amazing. Yeah, he did a bunch of the King Kong uh, oh, workshops yeah, yeah. and I, I just loved him. He's a very intense guy but he's also got this kind of very uh, playful, dark, you know, like real like downtown uh-huh. New York yeah. kind of sensibility. And um, so I was excited and, I, and like he can sing his face off. Yeah. So I was like, this is great. And him and Lena Hall so, singing uh-huh. What Part of My Body Incredible. Hurts the Most was like a religious experience for me. Yeah. The parts of the show that were incredible were some of the best things I've ever seen on stage. And the camp, the kind of camp self-aware. Very no campy. Uh, like looking down the tunnel wistfully or. My favorite was just the very beginning when the lead girl was just like moping and just falling over the couch just because she, her, yes. she couldn't stand. I yes. was like, this is hilarious. Like every bone in her body had turned yeah. into jelly. It, and just it was amazing. There was so many bizarre choices in that that yes. really made me laugh. Like it just, un- it just knew itself, and I was like, a different cast. Yeah, that could be a disaster. That show. right, mm. but pe- it had people standing up screaming when they were singing. It's all coming back to me now. I mean, yeah. the four of them just, ugh, that was amazing. Yeah, um, there's a <laughs> the two acting choices that just blew my mind, and I get really obsessed with like small acting. <laughs> One of them was when Bradley was singing, "What part of my body hurts the most," and um, I. I can't remember the lyric. It's like um, uh, uh, part of my part of my faster than the speed of love was the lyric. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where the character was like, "I just said something that was like um, quite clever." Mm-hmm. But and then there's a moment of acknowledging oh, that's clever, but I'm still sad, uh-huh. and went back <laughs> straight, straight back to the In sadness. Like a second. It was like, and it was kind of like a gallows. Oh, that's clever, but. Who's got time to deal with my own cleverness? Oh my and it God. was so small, but so funny. And then the other one was um, Lena Hall's character Ugh. on when the when the table turned into a convertible Cadillac uh-huh. for no reason. That was amazing. And then at some point she takes off her underpants. Yeah. And she spins them around her head, and then for no reason she sniffs them. And there's a moment where she's like, "Yeah, I still got it." And she throws <laughs> her underpants away. I was like, "What is?" happening in this show it, it was, was so so wild so funny and so great and the band was cooking it was great yeah it was a wild show really fun <laughs>
Well, I mean, we'd be remiss to not sit here and talk about Beetlejuice the musical. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Beetlejuice. Yeah. Well, talk about um, what your journey was uh, on getting involved with the show. So I, um, I'd just been... I've just been writing some songs for Strictly Baller in the Musical in Australia. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I was never in the room. It was like kind of they would ring me up and go, hey, we need a song for Barry Fife and it's got to be about blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that was normally um, that was normally Baz Luhrmann that would do that. I need, I need mm-hmm. a song about, you know. And I'd met him, like met Baz once at like an awards party. But he would ring me I'd write a song and email it off. And then I would never hear anything. No uh-huh. idea if it was in the show or not. It was like an incredibly unsatisfying way to work. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm like, is it working? Does it work on the actor? Is yeah. it in the right way? Does that sound, lyric sound right coming out of them? Yeah. Like all that stuff that is about writing a show. I was just never in the room. So that was kind of like ridiculous. And um, I remember being really depressed about the fact that, you know, as I said before, Australia doesn't make a lot of musicals. Mm-hmm. That if I wanted to make something, I'd have to get back into the vacuum with myself and do all of it on my own, like I'd done before. You know, write the book, write the script, write mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. lyrics, write the music. Or, you know, and um, I was kind of like I wanted to collaborate. And my wife Lucy was like, "Just get on a plane and go to New York. You've always wanted to do that. You need to go." And you know, I didn't know anyone mm-hmm. or anything. And I just bought a ticket and I rang every kind of person I'd worked with in the arts in Australia. And I was like, do you have any contacts in New York? Do you know anyone that I should talk to? I'll talk to anyone. Um, and on the way to New York, I stayed in Los Angeles with Tim Minchin mm-hmm. for about three nights. And he, um, excuse me, he agreed to introduce me to his uh, music theatre writing agent in New York, John Bazzetti, who's at WME. And um, John agreed to meet me and I went to John's and I gave him all of my stuff, which was so Australian. Like one of them, <laughs> one of them was a CD of Shane Warne, the musical, which is about an Australian cricketer, which makes no sense to anyone. <laughs> the other was um, a song cycle that I'd written and performed with um, a classical string quartet called the Brodsky Quartet, which was all about growing up in suburban Melbourne. So like you couldn't be more <laughs> niche Australian. and Australian. But he listened to my stuff and he liked it enough that we started working together. And, and I knew, I'd heard that Beetlejuice was going around, that it had been going around for three and a half years, that the script was being written, that it was out to pitch with a whole bunch of writers. Uh, but but um, as far as I knew, no one had signed yet. So I asked John Bazzetti, um, could I be included in that pitch? And so he asked the Warner Brothers, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and they said no. They were all like, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> You're a weird Australian with a weird name and all of your materials various. So, no, they're not. They're, and they've got it out to pitch with some quite, mm-hmm. you know, like reputable, very high profile teams. So they don't want to expand the pitch and that's that. And I was like, oh, what if I just wrote two songs for free? And I and my agent was, John was like, really, you do that? And I was like, dude, I would pretty much do anything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> So he went back to them and said, Eddie will write two songs for free if you don't like them and it doesn't cost you any time or money. What's the harm? And they were like, okay. So they sent me the script and I had a phone call with Alex. I was in Brisbane mm-hmm. at the time. I, I had a phone call with Alex Timbers and um, and he it was really funny because he was like, you know, I'd like you to write a song for Beetlejuice and a song for Lydia. And the, song we're, the sound we're going for is kind of like, you know, 
kind of circus, kind of carnival, kind of oingo boingo. And I remember thinking, oingo boingo. <laughs> and if I'd actually Googled it, I would have found out that Danny Elfman had a band called, Danny Elfman who composed yeah, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. music for Beetlejuice, he had a band called Oingo Boingo. So it was like a direct reference to yeah. his sound. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I think I know what you mean by Oingo Boingo, right? <laughs> like that Run one, with it, go, go. The kind of onomatopoeia of it, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah I yeah. get it. And so I set about writing these two songs. And, and this is like, um, this was a huge opportunity for me to put my sure. music in, not just in front of like a Broadway director, but also to show my um, New York agent that I could write American stuff to an American yeah. brief and so I really turned myself inside out and the first song I wrote was the whole being dead thing mm-hmm. and that was like kind of hurting cats because I wanted to put you know I, knew, I wanted to take all the surprising comedy of the script which was amazing and very funny and try and make the music every bit as surprising so it would kind of yeah. like turn and twist and be you know that would be in folk and then would be in death metal and then would be in swing jazz and that he would kind of like a kind of a, a um Almost like uh, the genie in Aladdin, but a yeah. very dark, uh-huh. macabre version of that. And then also, you know, having just seen Beetlejuice, like the biggest thing you like you have to decide is, what does Beetlejuice sound like when he right. sings? And is anyone going to buy a ticket to hear that? You know, sure. That's a big consideration because I was like that as well. You're doing Beetlejuice the musical. What's what does Beetlejuice sound like? So I spent a long time, you know, just in my hey folks you know yeah doing uh-huh. voices doing voices and that was um that was a lot of fun so we so i put those songs together i also wrote dead mom mm-hmm. and they were the songs i sent off and was a bit of back and forth between myself and um scott brown and anthony king mm-hmm. the book writers and then nothing for about three months and then wow. i got a call saying from my agent saying you got the job so it wow. was in absolutely insane um so after about 18 months of going to Broadway and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to, you know, put up a tent in Battery Park and put on a puppet show <laughs> and then claw my way block by block up to Midtown, <laughs> um, I was given this incredible opportunity to write a Broadway score, mm-hmm. for, you know, off first off the bat. And um, that was, you know, that's terrifying. That's really yeah. scary because, you know, they don't just, you know, hand you a trophy you know they open a door and there's a mountain and they go okay go climb yeah that um but i was very obviously incredibly motivated and excited to be inside it and also wanting to please my collaborators and mm-hmm. you know they had an ownership over the show because they've been working on it for so long and i wrote so much material that there's almost almost as much material as being cut from the show than is in the show yes um and I learned a huge amount about collaborating. You know, I found that hard, you know. Um, uh, there were times when you know, we would disagree on stuff and because there was two book writers and one composer lyricist, I was always outnumbered. Mm-hmm. I had to invent mm-hmm. a sock puppet so that I had equal... <laughs> yeah, me and Graham are kind of a deadlock now, guys. So it was, um, it was an ex- yeah, that was an extraordinary experience. And you were there for like... I a lot of it, yeah. Two years of it. Of it yeah. Two years of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Out of four for me and mm-hmm. like seven or eight. So many stuff. for everyone else. Yeah. Musicals take a long time to make. What's it like when a song that you love is going to get the chop because someone else says it just it doesn't fit? How do you deal with that? Has, did that happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, how do you deal with that? Like, or um, You really have to... It really depends if you trust and respect and like your collaborators. 
if you're working with someone that doesn't have a very good taste and or you don't trust their theatrical intelligence, I mean, A, you shouldn't be there in the first mm-hmm. place. But it does happen sometimes. That can be really hard because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I think they're wrong. But at the same time, um, sometimes people are right and you need to just breathe mm-hmm. and go... Uh, listen to their what they have to say and a lot of the times you know the great thing about American developmental process is you get to try it yeah so you go let's try I mean there is a thing that um, no one wants to work with a collaborator that won't collaborate yeah if you're the guy that's always like you gotta pick a hill to die on right so if they're like I think we should cut these four bars or we should cut this second verse and get straight to the kind of bridge or whatever and you're like no I will not cut my material Mm -hmm. It really does affect your ability to collaborate with other people. No one wants to work with you. But at the same time, you do need to kind of like stick up for certain things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, an, it's a kind of a dance. Because um, if you go to town going, I will not cut, cut these two bars, everyone's too scared to talk to you about the yeah. song that's not working or whatever. Um, and I think you kind of just got to know in your heart of hearts that, um, that an idea isn't working. Mm-hmm. And over four years is enough time to fall out of love with your songs. So mm-hmm. you can go, okay, so, um, you know, Dead Mom by the time it got to opening night was, you know, four years, it was a four yeah. year old song. And I was like, I don't know, let's cut it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <who cares? laughs> you're so you indifferent, you're like, I've, I can't look at yeah. it. Someone else has to say yeah. something. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm like it's, it's very, you know, and so, um, and that's been very, you know, once we've recorded it and put it out oh, into the huge. world, it's, it's really yeah, popular. People have really responded to it. You know, and I and every now and then I, I listen to people's co- covers of it mm-hmm. on YouTube, but, you know, I can't really get past a couple of bars because I, I it's a very old song yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah, it's like Kesha's milkshake. Is it Kesha? No. What's milkshake? Milkshake? That's not Miss Kesha. That's, no. That's not Miss Oh, Elliot. God. Who oh sings God. milkshake? Oh, we're awful. We have to cut this. Anyway, whatever. It's um, not Kesha. We, we love Kesha. We love Kesha. Yeah. So we would know. She's got a new album coming out. Has she? Yeah, she's putting out new music. Yes. She's brunette now, too. Whoops. Kesha. Whoa. Oh, my. This is God. Sorry. Came in without the effects turned off. Uh, It is Kellis. 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 Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thank Thank you, Podcast Dad. There's some (laughs) Kellis fans out there that are, like, furious. That are throwing shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like... I wanted to touch quickly. We don't have to dive into it, but you mentioned before that, you know, this season you had two, not only your first Broadway show, but you had two Broadway shows running at the same time. Yeah. And um, I know from being in Beetlejuice, when we were out of town, you were coming back and forth between previews of King Kong and an hour hour kind of tech process. And um, what was that experience like? Especially you were brought on to King Kong much later in its development. If, if I'm right. Well, I think I was brought onto King Kong at the same stage, but the development was just shorter. Sure. Okay. So I started writing on King Kong um, 18 months after I started writing on Beetlejuice, but then the trajectory of them just meant that they ended up on Broadway at the same sure. time, which was never. I mean, obviously, I don't. I'm not just the writer. I don't choose right when, when things go to Broadway. So that was kind of like a terrifying uh, scheduling. Nightmare. Although my mm-hmm. role in King Kong was very different to Beetlejuice, where Beetlejuice was very much like a traditional musical, where we, all, you know, I wrote the musical. It's all your material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, King Kong was was 
from the very beginning a very different beast, your pardon the pun. So, <laughs> um, uh, about two months into the writing process, it was decided that it wouldn't be, um, quote unquote, a traditional musical. Mm-hmm. Just And, you know, you can argue the merits or the rights and the wrongs of that decision, but uh-huh. at its heart, Kong was a, it's a, it was a massively technical show based around an animatronic yeah, puppet. puppet yeah. Certain things that the puppet can do, certain things the puppet can't do. Right. Things you can't change about wh- how the puppet moves because it takes, you know, like months, literally months and millions yeah. of dollars to re-choreograph it. There are 12 people physically moving the puppet, you know. It's Did like, you ever get to ride the puppet? I didn't get to ride the puppet, oh. no. <laughs> I didn't really, yeah. I mean, I met, I met him up close and he's, the puppet is one of the most extraordinary Incredible. things. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was writing songs for that. There was also Marius DeVries who was writing all of the kind of non-song moments, but also had some songs of him of his own in there. Um, there were like long periods of contemporary dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Thorne, our book writer, wrote these kind of very, very lengthy scenes and that were very connected and very small and on a human level. Um, and so it was kind of a weird puppetry, contemporary dance, contemporary theatre, sometimes musical hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it wasn't, for me, it wasn't a particularly happy place to sure. work in the end. Um, mainly because it was, you know, it was, uh, there was so much going. It was a big ship. Yeah. You know, I was a very sort of small cog in a very large wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, I, I also think it's fair to say, without um, anyone getting upset, that... Um, we discovered things about our show when we finally put the piece we had made in the rehearsal room together with the puppet. Uh-huh. And that made, you know, and then we had very little time to react to those right. um, decisions. Um, but there was like wonderful, there was extraordinary things about that, um, that piece. And I know it became a kind of a, you know, a, a, a kind of a target for some pretty intense vitriol. Awful. But at the same, you know, and like some... Some of the stuff I read, I mean, I re- always always read, and I think she's just moved on from Variety. Is it Sarah Hold- Holdren? Uh-huh. I, I know, yes, I think so. I don't know what her last name is, but she's a good, I like her, um, yeah, her reviews. I yeah. thought her review of Kong was really, was really great. I was like, yeah, I think that's kind of right. But there was some, like, you know, there's look at a lot of, uh, a lot of vitriol. But by that yeah. point, you know, some stuff had gone down between me and the production that I was like, I, I was not happy there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone was particularly happy with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, like, uh, I think, you know, my availability kind of compromised a lot of stuff about sure. the show. And um, and I don't know, we ultimately were making the same thing. Having said that, there were so many things about that experience that were amazing and it's very easy to look at um, negative stuff. But yeah. um, it was a real mixed bag. So that was that was the kind of Kong experience, and mm-hmm. you know, like I mean, I went we we got reviewed out of town in Be- for Beetlejuice, yeah, and it was like bad. Remember we got that Brutal, terrible, yeah. terrible Washington Post review. So I got bad reviews in the Washington Post twice in one week. Jesus oh. Christ! <laughs> yeah, and then both critics from the New York Times turned out to you know kick the living shit out of us on oh, Kong. Yeah, that was just yeah. mean spirited and terrible. Yeah, yeah well, there was a lot of there was a lot of that going on, and that was you know that. You know, I think that there was the honest truth is that when you sat in Kong, and I was there from the very first preview to the to mm-hmm. opening night, um, with breaks in between, 
the people were like not quite sure what the form was. That yeah. was that was something that people that didn't care about form or um, is this a musical or having to quantify right. what it is. Um, we were able to have a great time, but other people that, that were like, "Is this a musical or is this a contemporary dance piece? Or is this right. a puppetry yeah. show? What what story is it? You know." Um, uh, and then there are people that are like, "Is it a good idea?" And that's a really that's a really interesting question because sometimes you're like, "Maybe it's not a maybe it's t- maybe it's just a terrible idea, or maybe we just didn't maybe I just didn't get it right." You know, you think about all those sorts of things, but I mean, at the same time. You know, like uh, it was a very dark time for mm-hmm. me personally because, um, you know, Beetlejuice was like kind of going off in the room in DC, mm-hmm. but then suddenly got slammed with these terrible reviews. Reviews yeah. that, you know, as you know, haunted us all the way through yeah. the bloody oh, yeah. Broadway. Like we yep. couldn't shake it. It was this undergraduate, disgusting, f bombing, coke snorting disaster. Yeah. For everyone, <laughs> I think is the is yeah. the for quote. Ev- I mean, for everyone that didn't doesn't know this, I mean, we were all kind of. I mean, I felt is a little blindsided by that. We were all, we were all very like excited about yeah. it, and then it was just kind of a different thing. Yeah. So that was like a that was really difficult, and it all happened kind of at once. Um, but then, you know, like um, with our backs against the ropes, really a little bit on Beetlejuice, we had this great opportunity because we knew we were going to be in the Winter Garden, mm-hmm. and we knew we had another workshop, and we just wrote, we just wrote yeah. and wrote and wrote, mm-hmm. you know, and then tried it in that workshop, and then wrote more during rehearsals and um, and I think you know we were never the, myself Anthony and Scott you know we were never interested in making this offensive piece of of theatre that was like a kind of a bawdy comedy mm-hmm. what you know and of course obviously you know from producers down everyone wants to cut the bad language or cut mm-hmm. the right. offensive jokes and for no one to be offended and for everyone from birth till death to right. be able to enjoy right. this right. show but at the same time, the thing that upset myself, Scott and Anthony was that it, it had, no one was seeing the story we wanted to tell, which was Beetlejuice is a piece about what happens to a teenage girl when she loses her mum and her father won't allow her to grieve. Right. You know, and then Beetlejuice happens and then all these other things happen, you know, and how self-serving people are, whether they live in the past, whether they live in the future or their inability to just see a girl mm-hmm. in grief and to be there for her. I mean, the whole thing is about her first song, Invisible, you know. Mm-hmm. No one knows what to do, so they just either try and drag her into the future or whatever. Um, that wasn't, for whatever reason, that wasn't being heard in DC. And so all the work we did was about trying to tell that story yeah. for, for New York. And I don't know whether critics entirely kind of like were like, yeah, we get that. But um, I do think audiences have. I yeah, audiences, audiences have, totally have, have loved it, it and been extremely responsive and we're having such a good time at the Winter Garden. It's a big month for you guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, we'll move to our segments mm-hmm. now. Yep. Okay. Is this the rapid fire round? So. Okay. <laughs> kind of. So what we're, we start with the segment. So I do a, I do a segment where I uh, review theater merchandise. Eddie, as you know, I have a very comprehensive collection. It I'm, is stunning collection. Of t- <laughs> I've never seen you wear the same t-shirt. Never twice. ever. Not once. And um, so this month we're doing a very special Beetlejuice edition of Merch Madness. Um, so there's actual brackets online, which we will post on our Instagram at Equity One Podcast, so you can fill out. And we got some really good responses. Um, these, I have eight pieces of merchandise I'm putting up against each other in a tournament, and we're going to see who comes out on top. And the winner will be made into like a t-shirt or something? Is that what happens? It's, I'm reviewing the merchandise from the show. From Beetlejuice? From Beetlejuice. Oh, right. Okay. All the merchandise from Beetlejuice I am reviewing in a versus format against each other. Right now we're doing the first two heats. So we got four pieces of merchandise, only two are gonna win. Right. And here we go. The first, now this was, this was very sad. I put these, uh, these things into a random generator online that was like, put these things together. And it put my two favorite pieces of merchandise oh. right oh, against each other it's from like the, the very voice. beginning. Yeah. Yep, it's like exactly. The voice. What are you gonna do? Why do they put them in yeah. like my two faves? I know, what are you gonna do? Chocolate. Like, it's just, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Okay, here we go. This is hard for me. This is the logo tee, the plain logo tee against the names tee. The logo tee, as you know, it's been on Merch Madness before. Standard logo shirt, but with the secret black stripe on it. Um, a really great shirt. It won its Merch Madness, actually, mm-hmm. when it was here before. And then we have the names shirt, which has all the names of the leads of the show, including Beetlejuice, three times. Um, this is so hard for me. These are my two favorites. Um, the poll on Instagram, on my personal Instagram, the names T won with 62% of the vote and the logo T with 38. On the Equity One Podcast Instagram, the names T lost with 46% of the vote. The logo T won. Oh, so that's a similar percentage. You say 62 and then... Yeah, and then, and then the, the names... The logo T won with 54, so pretty close. Yeah. But for me... It's it's the names tee that's gonna win. Yeah. So the names tee is gonna be moving forward to the to the uh, the semifinal round. I thought when you wrote it, I thought it said Namaste. So that's why I know I that's the, what the you, the did, yoga, you did. You did a yoga, yoga guy on Instagram. That yeah. was really cute. Okay, moving forward, we got to do it fast and furious. Got a lot of merch. <clears throat> <laughs> I feel like we just we, we talked about like the tragedy of Broadway, and now we're talking about merch. This is perfect. I know. Well, this, this is, is this is the important stuff. This yeah. is who I am. You know what I mean? Forget the critics. This no, is where it counts. Yes. Does, is the merch cute? It is very yeah. important. Yeah. Okay. Pitted against each other next are the mug. So this mug is really cute. It's a black mug. It has the Beetlejuice logo on it. And when you pour hot liquid into it, it turns into black and white stripes. I use it like almost every morning. It's a great mug. Very solid. Good size. Amazing technology. Yeah, mm-hmm. really, really, really groundbreaking. And then we have the the hoodie, which is very cute. It has the Beetlejuice logo on the uh, on the chest. 
It's lined with black and white stripes, which is oh. really fun. And then it shows its showtime on the back with a little beetle as the O. Now, on my Instagram, the hoodie really, really won with 72% of the vote. Um, on Equity One Podcast... Got it. <laughs> Bless you, Alan. Thank on you. Equity One Podcast, the hoodie also won with 70% oh, of the yeah. vote. People loved it. I have to say, this time, the audience was wrong. The mug is the winner of this heat of March Madness. Wow. I use it every morning. I love the color change. And, uh, you know, in a different heat on a different day, it might have turned out differently. But, but This is an insane dictatorship. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's, everyone's I, like, wow, why did I vote? The final decision the is Donald mine. Trump of merch over here. How dare you? I consider myself the RuPaul of merchandise. You lost the popular vote. And now you're exactly. like... But it, but it worked on the names, T. Did RuPaul just, like, so ignore Ru, everyone? Yeah, yeah. RuPaul, RuPaul's whole thing, she's like, I've consulted with the judges. And then there's one time where she's like, but frankly, I don't give a fuck what they think. <laughs> the final decision <laughs> is mine to make. So it's her decision. I consider right. myself her RuPaul. So y- there you have it. The names, T, and the mug are moving forward in this month's edition of March Madness. Wow. And then... Event- what happens? Does the does the mug and the so the mug and the names tea will be competing against each other right. in yeah. an upcoming episode? So this is all just a farce for you to like make your mug win, right? This I what, don't know. You don't, the, <laughs> you don't know. You don't. Calling it early. The names tea is really I'm, good. I'm calling it early. All right. Well, Eddie is going to fill push- out his bracket, and it sounds like the mug is going to make it all the way. We all know Elliot's been pushing that mug since day one. <laughs> <laughs> this is a farce. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it can beat a t-shirt, Eddie. Can a mug be a t-shirt? I mean, it's all oranges and apples, isn't it? For me, it really is. And that's Merch Madness. Okay, last fun question. Okay. This is the rapid fire. All right. Uh, I have two versions, so I'll tell you which is which when it happens. But the first is, which is more perfect? It's your last is that the question? Yeah. No, that's, Which, that's oh. the question somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an either or. Either or. Oh, right, right. Okay, right. Yeah. There's more to it. Okay. Hot or iced coffee? Hot. Iced. Just iced, I love it. It tastes great, but it doesn't do what it needs to do to me. Yeah. Okay. I'm totally with that. Okay. Stepping on crunchy leaves or wearing a scarf for the first time in the fall? <laughs> <laughs> Which is not perfect. <laughs> That is such a funny question. <laughs> wow. Did that just come... To, how did that come to you? Because I think... This, stepping, is, uh, this is Caleb's was, gift. If I was stepping on a crunchy leaf, I think that's perfect. I love the first day of fall when you step on a crunchy leaf. Oh, I'm with you. Yep, yep. No, I, I would... Okay, I'm going to go with the crunchy leaf. Because, yeah, yeah. we all know what a scarf feels like. It's not that big a surprise, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. But you it's kind of pull your though, favorite yeah. one out of the closet. You haven't worn it, and you're like, oh, hi, old friend. Yeah, oh. I'm between scarves. I want, like, Jonathan Van Ness scarves. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. Just full body scarves. Yeah, just... Or, um... Like it. Or uh, 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 Lenny Kravitz, yeah, he's a big one. famous yes. for that giant scarf. Yeah, what are yeah. you can wear on your horse? All right. Okay, okay. Moving on. Okay, y- your favorite Halloween costume, please tell us. Um, uh, oh, I I went to the Halloween um pet thing in I don't know where it was, but it was so great. I think something really depressing had happened at the time, and I went to the dog. It was like a dog show, and the dogs are dressed up in Halloween costumes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. It was I can't remember what they were, but that was like, your favorite Halloween costume. You're like they're so cute. Oh my god! Of course, the tar- the dog that's a taco is uh-huh. very uh, popular. Classic. Yeah. It's a classic. Classic. Um, but a little mass produced. But there was some 
It was like a Gone with the Wind. It was like a Dolly Parton, like an Irish Saturday. Wow. It was like it was amazing. That, that yeah. So there's well, there's Beetlejuice dog costumes too. Yes, I saw a Beetlejuice. Someone sent me a photo yeah. of it. So I, that's not a costume, but that's a species. So I would say anything a dog wears. Yeah, perfect answer. Um, Netflix show you must watch right now. Um. Oh, uh, unbelievable! Is that Netflix? Yeah. I've watched little bits of it. Cole's watching. I haven't it. read it. I haven't read it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, it, it's like it's heavy. It's yeah. heavy going, mm-hmm. um, but it is, it is really worth watching. Great writing, great performances. It gets a little, there's some scenes where the exposition is just absolutely ridiculous. But um, Tony Collette's great in it, and the woman. Oh, that I plays love Tony Collette. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The woman that plays the other detective is just extraordinary. Um, that's yeah. I would obviously that's definitely worth watching. Okay. And the um, Great British Bake Off. Of always. I'm watching, I'm watching season seven, and it's so rude that now they're putting them out weekly and not, like... You can't binge them. Yeah, the latest season they're putting out weekly. I know. They're drip-feeding they're drip oh, it to yeah. us. It's awful. I know. We're like, what night has it come out? We watch it as a family. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, best. I grew up with the Mighty Boosh. Noel mm-hmm. Fielding is a big, you know, a big... I love him. I love his comedy. So um, it's great to see him being middle-aged and middle-class <laughs> in a tent. <laughs> Who are you rooting for? Um, I really like Michael, the the young kid with the glasses. Oh, but he he's yeah. kind of fading. I need him to step it up a little bit. He's, he's very emotional. Like very full blown panic attack. Yeah, very emotional. Um, there's the the very kind of like um, uh, trim and neat gay guy with the yeah, good arms. Uh-huh. I can't remember his name. Uh, David, I think is his name. Yeah, the gothy. Um, yeah, Elena. Elena, she's yeah, she's kind of doing my head in. A little we bit. call her spooky. You have a lot of forerunners. Yeah. I like um, the one that won Master Baker with the fringe. She's great. Oh, yeah, uh, Steph. Yeah. yeah. But she's really know. good. She's won it two weeks in a row. Priya's going. That blonde woman's going. Priya's got to go. The blonde woman, go! <laughs> yeah. Priya and the Why blonde she woman here? should go home. Did the Welsh lady go? Yes. The Welsh lady. Did she go yet? She needs to go. Anyway, it's like, I'm into it. It's really good. Okay. Um, teach us your favorite Australian slang. Um... <laughs> um, oh god. Um, I like a phrase. Oh, you know what my favorite is? What? Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. What's that? Well, you know, like you know? It, it, no, it, it's, um, it means, basically it means, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but no. So it's like you, you, you oh. Go, oh my god, I love, you know, I, I, you know, I love dancing in the na- na- rain naked, and you'd be like, yeah, nah. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. It's just like it's yeah, nah. an polite way of saying no. Yeah. I love that. I like that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. Nah. Okay. Which is more perfect? No line at Trader Joe's grocery store or a seat during rush hour on the subway? I mean, the, the no line at Trader Joe's is a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we've never seen that it's before. It's not going to happen. And uh, um, I, I don't mind standing on the subway, so Trader Joe's every time. Trader. I agree. Yeah. Um, this is sentimental. Which one's better, sunrise or sunset? <laughs> um, ooh. Uh, everyone loves a sunset, but I like if you, I've never regretted seeing a sunrise. I love, I love early mornings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what are your little girls loving right now? What are you all um, loving right now? This one's loving Stranger Things. The large, they're sitting here on the uh-huh. couch. My oldest, uh, Kitty is loving Stranger Things. Um, my younger one, Charlotte, is um, she 
into Descendants Free Disney movie. Sure. So yeah. you know, she can do a mean version of Queen of Mean. Oh. Um, she loves that. Um, they're also, they also love the new Aladdin movie, and I watched the original Aladdin animated fe- feature film, which I saw uh-huh. at the cinemas when I was a kid by yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took, um, I didn't take, I showed kid, uh, Charlotte the original with Robin Williams. Uh huh, yeah. And um, she didn't like it as much as the new one. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Jesus kids. Christ. Ugh. You know. Yeah. Um, no good. She, she's like, it was good, but I preferred Friend Like Me. With Will Smith, he's funnier. Yeah, he's funnier. Will, well, funnier you than it. Robin Williams. There you have it. Are Will you Smith insane? Funnier than Robin Williams. Give yeah. Me a, give me a break. Mm. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. That's what they're into. <laughs> um, here, I can't believe this is my job moment that's ever happened in your life. Oh, we, we have a lot of those. Um, um, there are like um, ones that are just super like, kind of weird and random, but the. But, the, but there are things that I would like call like Broadway moments, mm-hmm. like moments that you would like put in your memoirs that you're like, oh my God, I can't, you know. And one of them was when, so when we finished rehearsals for Beetlejuice and we took it from the room to the Winter Garden Theatre when we started tech, we, in the second act, the Maitlands had this song called um, What Is Left. It was a ballad um, and beautiful ballad, Kerry Butler sang and then Rob McClure joined and it was all gorgeous. But I was sort of feeling weird about it in the room and um, and I'd sort of started to secretly write a new idea, um, which eventually turned into what's in the show now, which is Barbara 2.0. But I had to kind of like start this sort of like mission to slowly get people on board. Because, you know, you can't just go turn up and go, everybody, we've got a new song. Like, uh-huh. you know, you get the... Your director has to be into it. Mm-hmm. Um, your write, co-writers have to write into it. You know, you can't mm-hmm. just go make this work I mean they have to make it work in the yeah. scene um, our actors you know Kerry Butler Rob McClure hey how, how would you like to just not sing this thing you've been rehearsing the yeah. whole time <laughs> yeah. so it was like one by one we had to um, uh, kind of convince people that this was the right thing to do and the right thing to do not only that we just w- that we wouldn't tech the song that they had rehearsed that we would by the time we got to it in tech that we would just slip the new one in so that was terrifying and it had a time limit but I remember um, uh, our executive producer, Mark Kaufman at Warner Brothers, you know, like he has been an amazing support for me. Um, he gets like, um, he, 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 if he likes a song, he really hates it if you want to change it. Mm-hmm. Like he really likes it to stay the same. So I was like, this is going to be bad. Like this is going to, he's, you know, I know in my heart of hearts, this is right. But he's going to be like, it is too late and it is not the right idea. And I just really... I didn't think he would go for it. So we took him up to the lobby of the Winter Garden and we had like a laptop and like a Bluetooth speaker. And, um, you know, when I write, I make a kind of a full demo with the band and everything because that's just how I do it. And then um, we played him the track and he burst into tears. Like, I was like, Are you, is this? And he was like, I love it. I love it. And I was like, I can't believe that we made that producer. I mean, he's a very emotional yeah. guy, but I'd never <laughs> seen him cry before. And it was just such an amazing kind of moment to go, this is gorgeous. You know, like we've, like he was into it enough to be that emotional about it and feel like it was the right thing mm-hmm. to do. So those moments you're like, oh God, that could have gone a lot worse. Kerry Butler did not cry. Kerry Butler was <laughs> like, I can just tell. Kerry Butler was like, 
oh yeah, okay, we'll try it. And then she's like, oh, such a trooper. She'll do, you should try anything. And she's so positive. But I could just see you know, behind her eyes, she was like, God damn it. Where's my ballad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, she brings the house down with it. And she yeah. thinks of ridiculous hygiene. It's at the ridiculous. end of it, just melting yeah. one's faces off. Yeah. So it's great. It's great. Yeah. Someone said backstage to her the other day, she's like, She's like, you'll sing at your own funeral. Your voice never ages. She's just, she's just kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. Never tires. That's amazing. I mean, I, I, Kerry Butler, I knew her voice as soon as she opened her mouth in the first Beetlejuice workshop because I was obsessed with the um, Bat Boy. Uh huh. Sure. Album. Mm-hmm. As soon as she opened her mouth, I was like, Holy smoke! You're Shelley from Bat Boy. <laughs> she's like, Yeah. I was like, This is so cool. <laughs> so cool. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me of on. Of course. If people want to follow you and your adventures on social media, where can they uh, do that? Um, they can. I'm on all the different things. So I'm on Twitter as Eddie Perfect. Um, I'm on Instagram as Edmund Perfect, which is my actual name. Edmund. E D M U N D Perfect. Um, and Perfect. Like every opportunity I can in America to tell people that Perfect is my actual surname. I do. Yeah. It's not a made up. Yeah, no one's buying it, but well, it's a good story. Oh my god! I used to ring, <laughs> used to ring my parents. You know, in the nineties, when you had like answering machines, you'd ring my dad, our family answering machine, and be like, "Hello, you've called uh, the perfect family. Please leave a message." <laughs> no irony. It's so great. Yeah, my dad was the perfect. So yes, it's real. I promise, it's real. I wouldn't <laughs> change it. Um, so yes, Instagram, Twitter, they're probably. They're the ones, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they're, they're the, the ones. ones. Yeah. The Facebook ones. is just like, unless you want to yeah. see family photos. Right, know. yeah. I mean, come along. If you, want. <laughs> um, you can follow the podcast at Equity One Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Twitter on Equity at Equity One underscore. And can you send us your uh, audition horror stories? Ooh. Let us know uh, an audition that just went terrible. Let us know about it and we'll read about it uh, on our next um, podcast. Yeah, we'll share them all month of October. Uh, so email us at equity1podcast.gmail.com. Yeah. Caleb is at Caleb Dickey and everything. And you can find me at Elliot Maddox on everything. And until next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.